This evening, again, uh, it's going to be a topical message. No specific text. We're going to work through a theme of Scripture. And the theme you saw on the WhatsApp link or on the screen now, the Holy Spirit, and that's the name of the series. And then we're going to look tonight at the life of Christ. So it's really the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus when he was uh, on earth and even now in heaven. Let us go again to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bow our knees before you, creatures of dust. We bow our knees before you as human beings, not only created in the image of God, but recreated in the image of God through Jesus Christ. And we pray as people of the risen King, as people who have been bought with the blood of the Son of God, as people who have been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, as people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and people who seek to be holy for you are holy. Speak to us this evening from your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. I read a book a few years ago, and I've recommended it a number of times. In our church, it's called Knowing Christ by Mark Jones. And Mark Jones, the whole book was excellent. I gave it to a friend. I gave it to a number of people. But one of my friends said that one is book of the year. Um, he reads through a number of books a year. And, and that book really, because it's not only theology, it's not only teaching that moves the, the intellect. It moves the heart. It moves the soul. It moves you to want to put down the book and worship God. And I remember the chapter on the Holy Spirit in the book, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. I was in such awe, in such amazement at the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to worship Him more. And even in this week as I was preparing this message, I was in awe of the Holy Spirit and I did have to break away from my preparation just to worship the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus and in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ for His humility in becoming a man, placing Himself, He who is equal to the Father, saying, I will submit myself to my Father and only do my miracles in dependence on the Holy Spirit and in dependence on the will of my Father. Now we're going to look at uh, this theme of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus under a few headings. The first one is His incarnation. Now that's a big English word for Afrikaans people. Those of you who read theology will understand it. It just means Jesus becoming a man, God becoming man. Say Fleerswording, say Menswording. So His incarnation. There was a false teacher in the early church called Celsus. And Celsus, he was not really, I think, a teacher in the church. He was just a Greek. And he said Jesus was the son of Mary and a Roman soldier. Mary was sexually immoral. And so she became pregnant by this Roman soldier called Panthera. And so he was Jesus, the son of Panthera. Uh, Origen, who was one of the preachers in the early church, he wrote against Celsus and proved and show, showed from Scripture and logical reasoning and arguments from the Bible why 
Celsius is talking nonsense. Now today we've got teachers, and they teach at Stellenbosch, they teach at University of Pretoria, they teach at UNISA, and they train pastors, and they say the same thing. Some of them say Jesus was born, Mary was sexually immoral, this Roman soldier was the father of Jesus. And then you get other groups who are also false teachers. They acknowledge the virgin birth. They believe Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. But then they will, will put Holy Spirit in lower caps, in small letters, because they say the Holy Spirit is not God and Jesus is not God. So maybe you might be not shocked at the first group, but you might be shocked with the second group. The first group is the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He's the Son of God, but He's not God. He's just a created being. The second group, many of you knew this, some of you didn't. The second group believes in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, of the Virgin Mary, Muslims, Islam. They believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. They believe He's the Messiah, but He's not the Son of God. He is not God. So these two groups believe in the virgin birth, but they miss the meaning. What does it mean that Jesus was born of a virgin? Well, what does the Bible teach? Well, we've got Isaiah 7 verse 14. There's the prophecy that the virgin shall conceive, she'll become pregnant and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. How did that happen? How did Mary become pregnant? Here's a virgin and a virgin means she's never slept with a man. Well, let me tell you how the Mormons believed Mary became pregnant. They believed that God the Father, Elohim, they would say, God the Father looks like us. us. He's like this exalted human being. And he had sexual relations with Mary. Now, not, that's not the, the, the formal teaching of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, but there are some of their great prophets and teachers that taught that and that still say that to this day. That is not how the Virgin Mary became pregnant. Rather, the Holy Spirit created a human body for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Virgin Mary's womb. Let's go to two, two passages. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1, verse 18 and 20. Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that's engaged, formally engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Now, now the angel talks to Joseph. As Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did a miracle inside of Mary's womb. So that would mean, when we look at Jesus as God, Jesus in His divine nature, then Jesus is equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. But when you look at Jesus as a human being, because He's both, then the Holy Spirit is the creator of Jesus. He didn't create Jesus. Jesus is eternal. He didn't create Jesus as God. 
It's impossible, otherwise Jesus is not God. But he created the human being, Jesus Christ. And he created him how? By, uh, through, the, through taking an egg cell of Mary, the egg, and fertilizing that egg, not with a male seed. So it's not a normal birth, a man and a woman together, the sperm cell and an egg. And that's the reason I say that. Because I once heard someone say that the Holy Spirit did not use, his, Jesus is not really the son of Mary. What the Holy Spirit did is he already created Jesus and then he just implanted that already created embryo in the womb of Mary. So he's not the son of Mary. And I said to the person, but then he's not a real human being. The Bible clearly teaches us in Matthew 1 verse 23, the virgin shall conceive. So it is Mary's egg. And then the Holy Spirit, by a miracle, creates Jesus without the seed of a man. So he's born of the virgin. So it's not, it's not in vitro fertilization. That from outside something happens and then he just implants it in Mary's womb. She's not a secret mother. Net as hierdie gaat, maar as hier herre gaat, kind nie, dis ingeplant van ander saad ergens. No, no. Mary is the real mother of Jesus. But he doesn't have a human father, an earthly father. So in Mary, the Holy Spirit creates for the Son of God a human body and very important and a human soul. Because some people think Jesus just had a human body, but he didn't have a human soul. His spirit was the Holy Spirit. No, Jesus had a human spirit. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? What did he say to the disciples before he went alone to pray? My soul is sorrowful unto death. And even when he was at the table with the Lord's Supper, before he gave that bread to Judas, he says, my spirit is deeply troubled. He doesn't mean the Holy Spirit. He means his human spirit. Hebrews 2 tells us Jesus was made like his brothers in every way. So Jesus had a human spirit like you. And that's important because sometimes your soul feels depressed or discouraged. And then if Jesus didn't have a human soul, you'd be able to say, you don't understand, Lord. He does understand. He also had a human soul. He also had a human spirit. So as Jesus is in the womb, the Holy Spirit now comes. He, he creates this body and soul for Jesus, for the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit now endows him, empowers him, and gives him everything necessary to do his task, his, his work as our Messiah, as our Savior. And I know we're going to talk about his baptism now. But you've got, for instance, Isaiah 11 verse 2. In verse 1, it speaks of uh, someone who will come from the line of David. And then in verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The Spirit of knowledge and understanding. The Spirit of wisdom and of insight or of counsel. Um, the Spirit of might and of the fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit gives him all he needs. Already in the womb, like John the Baptist. Do you remember John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb? For the task that he had to do. Luke 1 verse 15. The same with Jesus. And as Jesus now grows. He's as old as Klein Yusha. 
and he grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And you read in Luke 2 verse 40 and verse 52, now Jesus increases. He gets taller. Uh, he's a human being, a real human being. And then he becomes wiser and he learns things. That's all as a human. Every, all of that is as a human being. More and more he grows in wisdom. Who is it that does all of that? It's the Holy Spirit who does it, as Isaiah prophesied in 11 verse 2. Who can understand this? I remember in my parents' church where they are in J Bay now, before they even lived in J Bay, or the thought didn't even cross their mind yet. But we were on holiday and I attended a church and a man from Ireland preached, and you've heard him since. Uh, what's that guy's name? Vincent Price. Vincent Price. And so this Irishman preaches and he speaks of the greatest miracle in the Bible. And, and I've always looked at this. I thought, this must be the greatest miracle in the Bible. How is it possible that the eternal God comes into the womb of a human being and takes on a human body? How is that even possible? It, it blows my mind. God and man united in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who can understand this? Now, I don't, by, by saying that, I don't mean that, that God became a man in the sense of, oh, God is he's not God anymore, he's now something else. I don't mean that. I mean that he, he, he got something that he didn't have before. Jesus never had a human body permanently. He appeared sometimes in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, and he's called there, not an angel like just an angel, but angel means messenger. He's the messenger of the Father. He's the Word, the eternal one. But he comes in the Old Testament, sometimes appears in a human body, but it's not permanent. It's not his human body. But here, Jesus becomes a human being forever. I'm going to show you some verses on that just now. So Jesus becomes a human being. He gains a human nature. And I, I don't mean he, he puts it on like a Santa Claus suit because some parents or family members, it's Christmas and they'll put on a Santa Claus suit. And you know it's not really Santa Claus because Santa doesn't exist. <laughs> no, I know he knows that. <laughs> but you know it's someone putting on a suit. Jesus didn't put on a human body like he's not really human, but we think he's human. There was a false teaching in the time of the Apostle John and he writes against it in 1 John. It's called docetism. That's the Greek word. And, and dokewe means it seems that way, but it's not really that way. Like when you're in the desert and you see water and you're so thirsty and you get there and it's only a mirage, it's not water. And so it seems like there's water. It seems like Jesus is a human, but he's not really a human being. And then John writes against those false teachers in 1 John 4, verse 2 and 3. He says, every spirit that says... Jesus has come as a human being, that is from God. That's the Holy Spirit that says that. But any spirit who says Jesus didn't come as a human being, he didn't come in a real human body, in the flesh, that is the, the spirit of the Antichrist. That is false teaching. So Jesus didn't put on a Santa Claus suit, a human suit. Jesus also, he's not half God and half man. So he is in... The divine nature joins to, the, joins to a human nature. Now you've got half God like a, a mermaid. Uh, that mythical thing. That half human, half fish. Or like a centaur. 
uh, half horse and the top part is human or a fawn. They've got goat legs and goat horns, but it's a, a man's body. It's, Jesus is not like that. Half God, half man. He's also not two personalities like my precious Smeagol and Gollum in, in The Hobbit um, or The Lord of the Rings. He's uh, Smeagol, this horrible creature who used to be a hobbit and then he turns into this ugly thing because he wants the ring he wants the ring but then he's got two personalities and now he's Gollum and now he's Smeagol that kind of thing Jesus not like that he's now he's God and now he's man not that thing or two personalities Jesus if we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ it's one person the Lord Jesus Christ one person with two natures a human nature and a divine nature. Godlike natuur and a menselike natuur. That's what we're talking about. Jesus is truly God and truly man. I don't want to use the word 100% God and 100% man, although that would be true in a sense, but then I'm just afraid we might think, oh, so he had to have a, an earthly human, a human father. Which, no, no, he's born of a virgin. But he's truly man, like you are. Truly human and truly God. So, for instance, in Matthew 1, again, I quoted it already, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, so it's her child, he's a human being, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, and what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Oh, so he's Mary's son, but he's God. Or Romans 9, verse 5. Regarding the flesh, he's from the line of David. Oh, so he's the son of David, he's a real human being. And then it says he's God over all. Oh, so he's God. Yes, he's truly God and truly man. What's the song we sing in the church? For unto us a child is born. So he's really a child. Unto us a son is given. But who is that child? And his name shall be called? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Hmm, so this child is God. And in other verses in Scripture, I have to mention this one to you. Luke 1, 35, the virgin. And then Mary says, but how is it possible? I'm a virgin. I've never slept with a man. How am I going to have a baby? I'm not even married. And, and then the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you so that the child in your womb will be called holy. He will be called the Son of God. Oh, so this is not just the Son of Man. He's also the Son of God. And then 1, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 speaks of Jesus. And then it says, and he is the true God. He is, the eternal, he is eternal life and the true God. And the next verse says, keep yourself from idols. Any other Jesus you worship is not the true Jesus. The true Jesus is truly God and truly man. Philippians chapter 2, uh, Sean read it for us this morning, where it says in verse 6 that Jesus didn't hold on to heaven and say, I don't want to. He, and then it says, he who existed in the form of God. He's equal to God. The glory of God is His. And then he, does, he doesn't say, I don't want to let go. I don't want to become a human being. No. He leaves heaven and He becomes a human. He comes in the form of a servant. And being found in human form, He who's in the form of God, form of man. Doesn't mean He's not really God, not really. No, He's truly God and truly man. And then He comes and serves and He's obedient to the point of death, death even death on a cross. Now, uh, Alika... Can you put up on the screen for us, please, the diagram? So there you have 
the biblical teaching. How should we think about Jesus? So you have the big circle and it says FS and then HS. That's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One God, but three persons. But then you have Jesus who became something he wasn't. He wasn't a man and then he became a man. And so you have the divine nature of Jesus. That's Jesus as God. And you have the human nature of Jesus. Two natures, but is it two people? It's one person. The Lord Jesus Christ with two natures. And his human nature is not God. And his divine nature is not man. It's two different natures. Not two personalities. Two natures, one personality, one person. Thank you. You can take that off the screen. Now can I get to practical stuff? This was all a bit, you know, that's a bit technical, my, my brain work. Yeah, it is a bit technical, but it's important. I'm going to show you why. If we do not have the virgin birth of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, then you don't have salvation of sins. You cannot be saved without Christmas. And you know what I mean by Christmas, the virgin birth of Jesus. It's not only the cross that saves. It is this person who saves you. This person who is God and man. Jesus, why did he need a human body? Because he had to keep, Jesus had to keep the law for humans. Who broke the law? God or humans? Humans. Who had then to come and, who had to come and keep the law so that it can be acceptable to God? A human being. So that's why he needed a human body. It says in Hebrews 10 verse 5, you have prepared a body for me. Why did God prepare a body for his son? You keep on reading. And it says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I want to keep the law because sinners have broken your law. And I've come to keep it in the place of sinners that they might be saved. Another reason Jesus needed a human body, well, he had to die for our sins. He needed to take the punishment for our law breaking. Can God die? No. 1 Timothy 6 verse 16 says God is immortal. He is unsterflich. He is the undying God, literally. So you needed a human being to die for our sins. Now if we say Jesus is a real human being, it doesn't mean he's a sinner. The Holy Spirit, by some miracle, I don't understand how and I don't think anyone understands how. By some miracle, he creates this, a human body for the Son of God. But that human body is not touched by Mary's sin. All of us are born sinners, right? Psalm 51 verse 5. In sin my mother conceived me. I was brought forth in sin with a sinful nature. That's why you don't teach children to sin. They know how. It's in them. Now Jesus didn't have that. Jesus was born sinless. Luke 1 verse 35 again. The child conceived in your womb will be called holy. Hebrews 7, can you flip there quickly, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Hebrews 7, verse 26 says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. And what is this high priest like, Jesus? Holy, innocent, 
unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. That is what we have in Jesus who was born of a virgin. The sinless one. Why was it needed? For, why was it necessary for Jesus to be sinless? Why couldn't Jesus just be a sinner like us? Well, Jeremy, I can't pay, pay your speeding fine if I have speeding fines. I need, to be, I need to pay for my own. I can't pay someone's jail sentence if I'm sentenced to jail and I'm a criminal, I'm convicted. Now, in our system, it doesn't work like that and we can't go and sit in jail for someone else. But you can't take someone else's punishment for their sin if you're a sinner. You can't pay the punishment for their law-breaking if you've broken the law or if you have a sinful nature. So Jesus on the, on the cross needed to be the perfect sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice, the unspotted Lamb of God, the unblemished, the sinless Lamb of God. So He could take the punishment for sinners like us. But even that is not enough. It wasn't enough for Jesus to be a perfect human being. Because if, if Jesus was merely a perfect human being, could He take the sin of millions upon Himself? Could Jesus take an eternal punishment in six hours on a cross? He couldn't. Then Jesus would have to suffer forever. But he didn't. He suffered for six hours on the cross under the punishment, under divine punishment for sinners, for the sins of millions. How could he do that if he's only a human being? If he's only a perfect human being? He, had also, he also had to be the eternal Son of God. So he's an eternal being who can take an eternal punishment in six hours. And that's why Jesus, in an instant of time, in a moment, the moment conception took place, not through a human father, but the moment the Holy Spirit did that miracle in Mary's womb, the Son of God joined himself and became the Son of Man. And now he is the Son of God and the Son of Man, as I explained on the screen. Two natures, one person. In Psalm 49, we read in verse 7 to 9, No man can ransom another. Pay that price for his soul, so that the man should not go to the pit, get punishment that he deserves. No man can do that. You read down and you go to verse 15 of the same psalm, God will ransom my soul. So if Jesus was only a man, it couldn't happen. No man can do that. God will ransom my soul. So, Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. What happened to that Word, that Son of God? The Word became flesh. Die Word het vlees geword, die Word het mens geword. God became man in Jesus Christ. So let me tell you this. Anyone who denies the virgin birth of Jesus Christ denies the gospel. The Dutch Reformed Church, those liberals in the Dutch Reformed, they are liberal pastors and liberal theologians who are now train pastors. Those guys are not Christians because they say Jesus was not born of a virgin. Not all of them. They are good guys in the Dutch Reformed Church, but they are bad guys. And they call themselves Christians. That is not Christianity. It's another religion. Number two. Jesus' baptism and his ministry. 
Jesus sy doop en bediening. His baptism and ministry. My brother, a number of years ago, him and I used to do a lot of theological debating with one another. We don't do that anymore. We just talk now. <laughs> My brother said to me, Jesus didn't do any miracle as God. Jesus only did his miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did his miracles as a human being, by the power of the Spirit, not as God. And I argued with my brother. My brother was right. Let me show this to you from the Bible. <laughs> when Jesus was baptized, as he's in the water, and he comes out of the water, he prays. And what does he pray for? Well, the answer, the thing that happens next, tells you what he prayed for. He prayed that the Father would fill him with the Holy Spirit. And so that Luke tells us this in Luke 3 verse 21. He's the only one that says Jesus prayed when he was baptized. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in, the, in bodily form like a dove. It tells us, and that is the Father pouring the Spirit upon his Son as a seal to say, this son of mine, this man who was now baptized, is more than a man. He is the son of God. He is the Savior. He is the Christ, the special one, the anointed one, the Messiah. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So that's why he gives the Spirit, pours the Spirit upon his son. There are three that testify. There are three that tell us Jesus is the son of God. The water the blood, and the Spirit. It tells us in 1 John 5, verse 6 to 8. So the water, baptism, when Jesus was baptized, the Father says, that's my Son. The Spirit comes upon Him. That's the Son of God. And then the blood, when Jesus dies, to say, that's the one that Isaiah said. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's the Messiah. That's the Son of God. That's the Savior. And then the Spirit in all those things tells us, that's Him. He is who He says He is. That is the Son of God. John the Baptist, he said, that's what God told me. God said, uh, John chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, he says, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain on him, that's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. And then John says, now I know and I can testify, he is the Son of God. So that's why the Spirit comes to tell us that. So the Spirit anoints him. And the Spirit anoints him with power to do His miracles and to, to bring the message of salvation and to save. Isn't that what, what Sean read to us tonight? Sean told us that from Luke 4. where It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus went in the power of the Holy Spirit and He started His ministry. And then Jesus even says that. He says, that, and He reads from Isaiah and He says, This prophecy is fulfilled in me. And He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, and so on. You read the rest. So it's the Spirit that does that. Through Jesus, the human being, the Son of Man. So it's the Holy Spirit, in a sense, who sends Jesus. Now we know it's the Father who sends Jesus from heaven. Jesus says that in John chapter 6 and many other passages. But it's the Holy Spirit who sends Jesus because he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to preach good news. He has sent me. And in Isaiah 48 verse 16, 
Jesus, it's a prophecy, and it's Jesus, the Messiah speaking, Christ. And he says, and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. The spirit sends him out to go and do these miracles and to preach the good news and to show that he is the son of God and to fulfill the plan of salvation. This is very important. You, you might think this is just all theory. You're telling us theology. Get to the practical stuff. Just wait. Just wait. Be patient. I'm getting there. This is important. Jesus doesn't tap into his divine nature. Now, Jesus here, two natures, eh? Son of man, son of God. Jesus doesn't uh, draw from his divine nature to help himself out and do miracles. So he's God, so he can do any miracle he wants to. Of course he could, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it that way. And Jesus doesn't cheat to say, hey, I can help myself out and do miracles this way. Jesus doesn't cast out demons by drawing from his divine nature because he's, he's God, he's, he's got divine power. Jesus doesn't heal the sick by his divine power to say, I'm God, I do this. Jesus doesn't encourage people when they're really downcast by his divine power. Jesus doesn't use his divine power, so now I've got supernatural knowledge, I know things and I know people's hearts and their minds, so I can just um, go in and see what the Pharisees are thinking and of course he could do that, but Elisha did that. Elisha knew what the king was saying in his bedroom. So prophets in the Old Testament did miracles. How did they do that? Doesn't mean they were God. Of course Jesus is God. But that's not how he did the miracles and preached powerfully and saved people, of course. Didn't Satan tempt Jesus that way? You're the son of God. You can turn the... The stones into bread. You're the son of God. You are God. Do it. Did Jesus do it? No. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and they said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross now and we will believe in you. Did Jesus do it? Did he say, I'm God. I can do this. No. Because it was the will of his father that he should go through with the plan. What about supernatural knowledge? Jesus is God, right? So did Jesus use that divine nature to know, to have supernatural insights? Or was it the Holy Spirit that showed him those things? Why did Jesus say, no one knows the day, day of my coming? Of that day, no one knows. Not even the angels. The angels don't know, not even the Son. Hmm. Jesus is God. Of course he knows all things. Does Jesus know now? Yes, he does. But as a human being, he said, I will not use my divine power to do things. I will only do what my Father tells me to do, and I will only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you in a moment why that's important. So Philippians 2. Jesus, it tells us, didn't hold fast and say, Oh no, I don't want to leave heaven, heavenly glory, and go to the earth. He didn't grasp equality with God and say, I don't want to leave this. Does that mean Jesus stopped being God when he became a man? No. That's impossible. You, how can you stop being God? So Jesus was always God, even when he became a man, but he decided what I just explained. I will not independently use my divine power. So he did his miracles as a human being by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I quoted that from Isaiah 11 verse 2. What about Isaiah 42? Again, where he says, I will anoint him, I will put my spirit upon him. 
a prophecy about the Messiah, about Christ. I will put my spirit upon him. And so how does Jesus say, there's a broken reed. Let me strengthen that person. There's a smoking flax. There's a little candle that's going to die. I will help that person. I will bring justice to the nations. I will bring victory. How does he do that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to open the eyes of the blind. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captives free. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, here's a good one. If it is, Jesus said to the Pharisees, if by the Spirit I cast out demons. Hmm, by the Spirit. What about Acts 10, verse 38, where it says that Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about healing the sick and doing good everywhere. Again, it's by the Holy Spirit that Jesus does those miracles. Acts chapter 1, verse 2, even after the resurrection we read, Jesus gave commands to his apostles by the Holy Spirit. And I don't think those are unimportant. Let me tell you why. Because some Christian somewhere is going to say, Jesus doesn't understand. It was easy for him on this, in this world. Because he's God. He could just do miracles. It's so easy for Jesus. Jesus, when he, when he was tempted by the devil, he could just sort it out. No, no. How does that temptation start in Matthew 4? Jesus was taken into the desert by whom? The Holy Spirit. And that's how he withstood the temptation, by the power of the Spirit. Because we might easily say it was so easy for Jesus to withstand the temptation. He's God, he can do anything. Jesus became a human being exactly like you and me. He understands exactly what you go through. In your trials, in your sufferings, in your temptations, in whatever you go through, Jesus understands. And Jesus gave you and me the very same Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 tells us that. We have the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of Christ is not in someone, does not dwell in you, then you do not belong to him. But the Spirit of Christ is in every believer. So we have the very same Holy Spirit to do what? To withstand temptation by the power of the Spirit. I'm going to go through the other things. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, the moment you were born again. Titus 3, verse 5 and 6. It says that we were, by, we were saved by washing and renewal through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ. So you have the Holy Spirit if you are born again. The Spirit dwells in you. And when you were baptized, the Holy Spirit empowered you somewhere around the time of your baptism, either, either just before or during or after, you were empowered for service, just like Jesus. Jesus, in the baptismal waters, and the Spirit comes upon him and empowers him for service. He's anointed to use the gifts that he needs to use to accomplish the mission. And so, the same with you. You read the book of Acts. Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you go on through the book of Acts. You've got examples. Cornelius, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in the end of Acts 10. And then after that, they are all baptized in water. And then the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in Luke, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. And then he rises and he is baptized. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans, they baptized in verse 12. And then a few verses later, the apostles pray for them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. It doesn't mean, oh, you receive the Holy Spirit long after your salvation. You receive it the moment you are born again, but, or him, not it. 
You receive the Spirit the moment you're born again, but the Holy Spirit also empowers you with gifts for service. And so I've got examples from the book of Acts. And then the Holy Spirit helps you against temptation. Did the Holy Spirit help Jesus against temptation? We just said that. Does he help you? What do you use in the, in the spiritual armor? What's your only offensive weapon when you fight the war? The sword. The sword of who? The sword of the Spirit. How do you fight the war? Do all these things praying in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 tells you to pray in the Holy Spirit. Again, it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit who helps. We said the Spirit gives you gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of the Spirit. Who makes your testimony powerful? You're a Christian. You talk to other people about the Lord. They see your life. Who makes the testimony powerful so that people, their eyes go wide and they, they start asking questions? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Again, it's the Spirit. I brought the word to you, not with words of human wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The gospel we preached to you came to you not only with words, but in the Holy Spirit and with power. So again, it's the Spirit that does the same for you. I want to encourage you. I've done this in previous sermons. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Yes, you have the Spirit in you, but pray for a fresh anointing of the Spirit, a fresh filling with the Holy Spirit. That God will strengthen you in the inner man, in the inner being, through His Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And then it goes on and then it says that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And Paul prays that for Christians who already have the Holy Spirit. And then we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't live in sin. Don't live in disobedience. It grieves the Holy Spirit. makes Him sad. And then you will not be aware of the power of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit. And then second to last, number three, His death and resurrection, talking about Jesus. We sang a song in, um, in a choir. I was a part of a choir, a church choir, when I was a teenager. And the song says, alone, alone, Christ bore it all alone. He suffered, bled and died alone, alone, alone. And that is true. Jesus was left by all these friends. They ran away. His disciples. And in the end, he had to suffer alone. And then even his father, he was no longer aware of the favor of God. Because he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is all true. But the Holy Spirit never left Jesus. Because, well, first of all, it's not possible for the Trinity to not be the Trinity anymore. Otherwise, God's not God anymore. But Jesus was no longer aware. He was no longer aware of the Spirit's presence and the presence and the favor of his Father. Because the Father brought the punishment upon his Son for our sins. But who helped Jesus to go through dark Gethsemane when Jesus was in the garden? praying and he prayed and he called and he called and there's no answer and his sweat falls like blood drops on the ground who helped Jesus to not turn back and say I can't do this it was the Holy Spirit I'm going to show it to you now it was the Holy Spirit helped him 
Who helped Jesus to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? It was the Holy Spirit. Who helped Jesus when hanging on the cross and actually through his life to not sin, to be obedient to that point of death and to offer himself a sinless sacrifice to his Father? Fragrant offering, Ephesians 5 verse 2. Let me read to you. If you have your Bible at Hebrews still, Hebrews 9, check this. Hebrews 9 verse 14. And please give me injury time. Hebrews 9 verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. It was through the Spirit that Jesus did that. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus is in the grave. Now his soul has left his body. Do you remember when Jesus died? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The soul has left the body. Who brings that soul back to the body and brings Jesus to life? Well, the Father speaks that Christ must rise. Galatians 1 verse 1, raised by the Father. Jesus decides, I will rise from the dead now. It says in, in John 10, verse 17 and 18, No one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. But who actually breathes that life back into the body and brings the Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It tells us in Romans 8, verse 11, that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise your mortal bodies from the grave through His Spirit. Romans 1, verse 4. It speaks of Jesus, who was raised from the dead by the Spirit of holiness. The Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, who brings him back from the grave. 1 Peter 3 verse 18, it says, Jesus was put to death in the body, in the flesh, but he was made alive in the Spirit. Who joins his human spirit and body? And reunites them. So the Father brings Jesus back from the dead, to show Jesus is not guilty. He did not die for his own sin. He died for the guilty, for other people's sins. That's why I bring him back from the dead, to show to everyone my son is innocent. Romans 4.25, he was raised for our justification. But the Holy Spirit brings Jesus back from the dead to show, oh, told you so, <laughs> he is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the Anointed One, the Messiah. Doesn't 1 Timothy 3 verse 16 say that? He was vindicated by the Spirit. Almost done. And so then, when Jesus is raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit not only raises Him from the dead, but He glorifies the body of Jesus. And Jesus has this, this perfect body a perfect body in the power of an indestructible life. Jesus can never die again. And it's by the power of the Spirit who glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll do the same to our bodies, Romans 8, verse 11 and 23. But the power of an indestructible life, Hebrews 7, verse 16, Romans 6, verse 9. So when I spoke to a Jehovah's Witness, just a block away, a number of years ago, maybe seven years ago, I was doing street evangelism. And so I meet this Jehovah's Witness, I talk to him, and he says to me, no, Jesus is just a spirit now. 
I said his body was raised from the dead. His body was raised. He showed Thomas, here's my body, you can touch it. So Jesus rose from the dead. The Spirit brought Jesus' body back from the dead. What would happen if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead? Then I will quit my job tomorrow because I'm preaching a dead Jesus. What can a dead Jesus do for you? I'm preaching a dead Messiah. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, your faith is in vain because what are you believing in? Oh, why don't you just believe in Hitler? He's also dead. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it means your loved ones who are Christians and they died now, they lost. Because there's no life after death. Because the, the one who said, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's no resurrection and he's no life, he's dead. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it means your body will not be raised from the dead. Because... Resurrection from the dead, it doesn't happen, if the liberals are right. Finally, and shortly, number four, his ascension, say Yemulfort. I remember in 2005 or six, I was at a conference, and the speaker said something, and I wouldn't have put up my hand to say, I didn't know that either, because he says, you are, you are theologically ignorant if you don't know this. Your people need to be taught. And I just said, that's the first time I heard that too. He said, Jesus is still a man today. And, and I told that, after I heard that, I told that Jehovah's Witness, and I just quoted the verses to him. There are a lot of verses that say that. When Stephen died, just before he dies, he sees heaven opening, and what does he see? Who does he see in heaven? Yes, Jesus, but what is he called? I see the son of? Man! Hmm. Okay. So don't put up your hand if you didn't know that. <laughs> what about Acts 17, verse 31? God will judge the world by a? Man. Oh, another verse. What about 1 Timothy 2 verse 5? That says there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Who will return on the clouds of heaven? The son of? Man. Oh, so you're going to see Jesus is still a human being today. Well, obviously he is. That's what happened after the resurrection. That body came out of the grave. John in heaven, he sees Jesus, and he sees, oh, he's like a lamb who was slain. Oh, how will people recognize Jesus? It says, every eye will see him on the clouds of heaven, even those who pierced him. How will they recognize him? They will still see the wound. It's obviously healed, but the wound, the mark is there. Now, you won't have marks on your glorified body, but Jesus will always have those marks to remind you what he did for you and me when he died on the cross. And so when Jesus comes into heaven, the moment he comes in as the glorified Christ, the ascended Lord, he receives a fresh anointing with the Holy Spirit. And you find that in Hebrews 1 verse 8 and 9. As he comes as king, your God, O throne, is, your throne, O God, is forever and ever because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Your scepter is a scepter of righteousness and you are anointed with oil beyond your companions. Now that oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus anointed, and he's anointed now as our heavenly Messiah for his task as our heavenly mediator. And the picture is the head is anointed and all the oil runs down upon the body. Who's the head of the church? Who's the body? Us. So Jesus himself receives the Holy Spirit, a fresh anointing again, it says so in Acts 2 verse 33. He received the Spirit from the Father. 
and then he pulls him out. <laughs> so he's anointed, and it's like the spirit, the anointing runs down upon the body, the church. Jesus has the Holy Spirit without measure. John chapter 3, verse 34. So, Shaul, if you need just new strength through the Holy Spirit, can Jesus give it? But can he keep on giving it? Because, I mean, the Holy Spirit is going to run out. He's going to run out like oil. No, he doesn't. Because Jesus has the Spirit without measure. He can strengthen you again and again. He can fill you with his Spirit again and again and again. Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4 verse 31. They prayed and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But, hey, wait a minute. I thought they were already filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. Yes, but now they're filled again. And so he can give you the strength you need constantly. Come again and again. Come again and again. Why does he give you the Holy Spirit? What does the Spirit do? What does Christ do? He's received gifts. Or uh, not received gifts. He gives gifts. He gives gifts to men. He gives gifts to the church. Why? So you and I can serve. Why? So we can show Jesus to the world. So we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we can become mature. And there you have it. Show Jesus to the world. That is the greatest ministry of the Holy Spirit, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Show Jesus. Show Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants heaven and earth to know how wonderful Jesus is. And he wants us to worship Jesus. Play your part. Play your part. Don't be a couch potato. A spiritual couch potato, just sitting and getting fed, getting fed, and you're doing nothing. Now, I'm not saying you're doing nothing, but maybe some of you are doing nothing. Serve. Serve in the body of Christ. Let the body be built up in love so that the world can see the Lord Jesus Christ. And please don't say you, have a, you don't have a spiritual gift. If you have the Holy Spirit, and that's easy to know, do you have the Spirit or not? Because you'll have the, the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Every believer has a gift of the Spirit, says 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Even if it's just buying cookies for the kids' club or praying for the kids' club. Father in heaven, we pray for a fresh endowment of your Spirit, for a fresh anointing of your Spirit, a filling with the Holy Spirit, so that we may be servants of the Most High God, and that the body will be built up through our spiritual gifts and our service, that the world may see Jesus in us. We pray this for his sake. Amen.